Well, today we're kicking off a brand new series called Matters of the Heart. And uh, what I want to talk to in this series really are, are issues of the heart. Um, and here's the reality. Um, in fact, scripturally, Jesus cares, uh, even in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, in the Gospels, we see that, that oftentimes even he was sort of speaking a contrast on how uh, religious culture oftentimes will overemphasize the behaviors. Uh, if you're familiar with the teaching, he's like, you know, you say do not commit adultery. Uh, I say do not have lust in your heart. Uh, you say don't commit murder. I say don't be angry at your brother. Uh, because he cared more about the heart because he knew that out of the overflow of the heart, um, everything comes in, uh, everything from your heart uh, flows into your life. In fact, Proverbs 4.23 uh, a scripture says this very thing. It says to guard your heart. That word heart means your inner self. Above all else, like above everything, like guard your heart. For it determines the course of your life. Now that, that doesn't mean to have a wall up on your heart, to not let anybody inside, not be open and transparent with anyone. What that, what that means is to be mindful of what's, what's happening on the inside of you. Uh, because all things, good and, and bad, start at a heart level. If you think about decisions that you've made, things that you've done, it started with a thought. It started with a feeling. And that's what it's saying there. So be mindful of, of those ungodly desires, those ungodly thoughts may be operating. And be intentional to align your thoughts and your desires with the ways of God. In Deuteronomy 30, the Lord spoke to the Israelites and said this, Today I've given you a choice between life and death, between blessing and cursing. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. Uh, in fact, throughout Scripture, we see this reference to the ways of God as the way of life. And that God gives us a choice. Uh, for, for, on, a, on a basic level, when it comes to the gospel, we have a choice to follow Christ into eternal life. Uh, or there is eternal death. There's that choice. But then even as a follower of Christ, and some of you are still figuring out kind of whether or not you'll, you'll become a follower of Christ, become a Christian. But then for those of us who already are, there's a decision in how we live. Because the book of James, you know, James, the brother of Jesus, says that all sin eventually leads to death. Uh, that all sin eventually leads to destruction in our life. And that's the enemy's intent, to steal, kill, and destroy. But John 10, 10, what did Jesus say? I came to give you life and life to the full. I feel like preaching today, okay? Are you ready for this? Y'all going to talk back to me? Okay, I preach better and shorter when you preach, when you talk back. So whether you like me or you don't like me, you win, but you got to talk back. Um, and we're going to talk today uh, about a particular issue um, that I'll reference in just a moment, and then we're going to dive in. Let's pray first, though. Father, we thank you for this time. We get to open up your word. It's a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. I pray that you would speak through my words today. God, we posture our heart and our mind to receive from you. God, help us not only hear the word today, but to be doers of your word. Uh, we love you. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're talking about an issue uh, of, of the heart, which is, um, well, it, it's referenced in Luke 12, the passage we'll be reading. And it's the issue of greed. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to give a biblical definition of greed because some, when we often hear greed, we immediately think money. And maybe there's many of you in the room, you think to yourself, well, I don't have an issue with that. Uh, but the biblical term for greed, it's actually a broader definition. Um, I want to submit to you today um, that you would just have an open mind and an open heart because we actually live in a culture that is very much obsessed um, with, with really the word greed in the New Testament, the Greek word. Um, it actually refers to the definition is a lusting or desiring for more beyond God's best. 
It's when the more of life has a grip on your heart. It's when we, we have a common term we use in our culture, right? Like we're driven to succeed. That when, that when we overextend ourselves beyond God's intention. It's when we're so consumed with success, we work without rest, violating God's rhythm of a Sabbath. It's when we're so consumed with, 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 with accumulation of possessions or wealth that we don't actually obey God's word in the area of generosity and trust him with a tithe and live a generous life and an open-handed life. Uh, and, and here's my hope today. Please hear this. Um, all of us are on a journey and none of us have arrived. Uh, and if you think you have arrived, uh, you have a whole other issue, which we'll speak on in a few weeks. Come on, somebody. So, so please don't, don't feel condemnation because that's not the heart of Christ. Here's what you need to, you need to hear Hear the tone of God when you hear the word of God. And here's what God's always calling us forth. He's calling us forth to better. Can I get amen? He's not someone angry with you. He's not mad with you. He's like, no son or daughter, I have something better for you. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? That's what I hope you hear today uh, through these words because some of the truths are hard to swallow. And I think if we would be honest, uh, not only perhaps we would acknowledge humbly that to some extent, all of us have faced the temptation of, of more. But we live in a culture of more, don't we? Come on, it's, it's the Western culture way that more is better. Come on, if one house is good, two houses are better, right? Come on, if one car is good, two cars are. Come on, if, 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 if one master is good, two master degrees are. If one child is good, two children are. Some parents are like, I ain't falling for that one. <laughs> I thought it was better until I had them. <laughs> no, but, but, but we think more is better. And, and here's a reality. Let me just say this too. God has no problem with money. God has no problem with success. God has a big problem with money having you. He's got a big problem with success has your heart though. And can I humbly submit, perhaps some of you are here today, you're there. You're there. And here's what I believe today. God wants to set you free. God wants to set you free because he has no problem with you having it. In fact, he created the world. He spoke into existence, but he wants to set you free from it having you today. And we're going to look at the words of Jesus, uh, which is always a good place to start. And a conversation he has with a young man, and the way that he engages this conversation is, uh, is profound. It's Luke chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, uh, verse 13. It says this, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, my brother, uh, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me as judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to, the, to them, to them. So he was speaking to him. Now he says to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So here in this moment, um, you know, as, as I was listening to this, I thought it's, it's, it's common. It's human nature, right? How many of you know it's far, it's far easier to call out the sin in someone else than to deal with it in your own heart? right? Here he is, been like, hey, Jesus, Jesus, get my brother. He won't even divide the inheritance. And what does Jesus say? No, watch out. You need to guard against greed. Because see, in this moment, he addressed both of them, because both of them were struggling with this issue of greed. So he says, watch out. He says, for life does not consist with the abundance of possessions. Then he told him a parable, because he often spoke in parables. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundance harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. 
And there I'll store my surplus grain. I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be, be merry. Come on, retire on that beach home. Just, just, that's what I'll do. Then God said to him, you fool. They're strong words from Jesus. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Here's the first one I want to share with you. I have three points today from this passage. Here's the first one, is that we need to guard against greed. He actually uses the term to guard against all kinds of greed. Again, in our Western culture, we think greed, we think money, but I want, I want, to, keep, I want to keep expanding your mind to the biblical definition. Greed is the thirst, is in the longing for more. More success, more achievement, more accomplishment, more wealth, more possession, more house, more, more you fill in the blank. That, that's what he's referring to. This, another, another translation used the word covetousness, which is that longing for more, that more. So he's saying guard against greed, guard against the longing for more. Because just as then, as it is today, there is temptations to, for greed all around us. Have you experienced this? Have you ever got done scrolling social media and you just got home from vacation, but then you saw someone else on their vacation and you thought to yourself, I need more vacation? Or you just moved into your house and you watch HGTV, and then you think to yourself, I need a bigger house, right? And then like, right, that, that gets all over the place. Like, you don't got to look far. You're like, I need more. Like, I need that, right? And, and the marketers know how to sell it, right? Because they show you a life on commercials. They know what they're doing. They want to convince you that you need this, that somehow this pair of shorts, this car, this drink, your life will be better, Right? Because, because that, that's what, that will inspire us to, to buy whatever it is. And, and Jesus is the guard against it. And to give you a word picture, that word guard against, imagine, imagine two foes or two opposing armies. And one is attacking the other. And the other army, is at, they're guarding against it with a shield and armor. That, that's the word picture Jesus is giving. Like the attacks are coming. Like, like the ads are going to come. The temptations on the shows will come. There will be places you go, websites you visit, people you spend time around. You will be tempted for more. Because have you ever noticed this? Like even when you achieve more success, there's already always someone who's been more successful. Or when you, when you get a little more money, you, you get a little bit more house, you realize there's somebody else who's got a little bit more. So it's like this, it's just it's constant, constant chasing after the wind that even Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes. So we, we got to guard against it. It's 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10, Paul, writing to young Timothy, says this, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money. Now note this, not money. I want to be clear about this. Like money isn't evil. Possessions are not evil. Success, not evil. The love of it, the pursuit of it, when we elevate it to a place that it's not supposed to be, that, that is evil. It's the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. She's saying it'll leave you away from faith and pierce themselves with many griefs. He calls it a trap. And it reminded me of, uh, I remember some years ago, we had uh, mice in our, our garage where we were living. And uh, there was like this bag of grass seed and, and they were getting into it. So I, um, and I'm sorry if you love mice, um, earmuffs. Just put the earmuffs on. Uh, don't listen to this part. Um, forgive me. Still love me. Um, 
but I got, I got traps, like the old school traps. So you know what I'm talking about? Like 50 cent at the grocery store traps, like not real humane traps. Like in a moment, you see G, mouse Jesus trap. Come on, like you don't, you're gone, right? Um, I wasn't playing games. I got three kids, so I'm like, don't mess with me. Um, so I got these, these traps. So I bought a jar of peanut butter, and I put a glob of peanut butter on the trap. And my, my daughter Hannah at the time, you know, she was, uh, I think, four or five, and she was inquisitive. She was like, Daddy, why are you putting peanut butter on the, the trap? And I'm like, well, Hannah, everyone loves peanut butter. <laughs> um, but I said, no. I said, I said the, the mice are drawn to the peanut butter. And I said, what happens is they begin to eat, right, a little bit of peanut butter, a little bit of peanut butter, lights out, right? <laughs> like, and, and, and I want you to add that, that picture because Jesus has said greed is like a trap. It's like a little bit more. It's got a little more success. I'm going to work a little bit longer. I'm going to overextend myself a little bit more. I'm going to violate the, the boundaries, my physical limitations a little bit more. I, I, I'm going I'm I'm to pursue wealth a little bit more. So no, God, I'm not going to be as generous as you, you're calling me to because I'm going to pursue. I just need to get to this place. Maybe you've even said that before. Once I get to this place, then I'll not work as much. Then I'll take a Sabbath, God. Then I'll rest. Then I'll respect my, the limitations of my body. Once I accumulate this much money, once I pay off this debt, which I got myself in the first place, then I'll begin tithing. Then I'll begin giving. I use that excuse for years, personally. Have you ever justified your own disobedience of God's word? Oh, nobody in here. You're looking all holy at me. Okay, just me. That's a good word, Jeremy. That was for me. Thank you. I have justified my disobedience. I'm very good at it. I used to say, Lord, I can't tithe. I can't give because I'm in debt. Then the Lord said, Jeremy, who got themselves in debt? Oh, okay. <laughs> Please hear the heart of God. The heart of God's not kind of, but it's calling to better. It's calling to better. So, 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 so it's a trap. It's a trap. So it eventually, you'll, you'll, you'll lean in, you'll lean in, you'll lean in, and then boom, it got you. Pierce you with many griefs, the Bible says. What are some of those griefs? Let's mention a few of them in scripture. Number one is that greed leads to conflict. The thirst for more will lead to conflict in your life, both internally and in relationships. Proverbs 28, 25, the greedy stir up conflict, but those who trust in the Lord will prosper. Have you ever seen a relationship that has had conflict or tension because of greed? Maybe somebody working long hours and a, and a, the longing for success. Maybe someone having that side hustle, taking time away from their family and their relationships. Again, I'm not saying the side hustle is bad. I'm not saying the degree is bad. But we're going to get at the heart level. Here's what I want you to do. When you, when you find that temptation for the more, ask yourself, where's the more coming from? What void is the more filling in my life? That's what I want us to get at, the heart, the heart level of it. Because it can lead to conflict. In fact, a third of all, uh, a third of all marriage relationships say money is a primary stressor. It's one of the leading causes of divorce and marriages is money, possessions. Um, again, not always a matter of greed and a thirst for more, but, but it often is. Greed leads to unfruitfulness, Mark 4, 19. But the worries of this life, this is the words of Jesus, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things, the more, the greed, come in and they choke the word of God, making it unfruitful. That when you're consumed with success, when you're consumed with more uh, possessions consumed with more, again, fill in the blank. It can make the word of God unfruitful because here's why. At some point, 
at some point, money and God will be at odds. At some point, success and God will be at odds. Like, the ways of Jesus are not the way of the American dream or the Western culture. It's not always up and to the right. Like, Jesus doesn't just want us to live a life where we're just successful here on earth and we just get wealthier and more successful. In fact, if you read a lot of his words, he often says, take up your cross and deny yourself. He'll use the term, die to yourself. Are you following me, church? But here's why, because we don't live for the kingdoms of this world. We live for the kingdom of heaven. We live for a kingdom that knows no end. The things of this earth will one day go away. In fact, your success, do you know your success and wealth over the course of time on earth will slowly begin to depreciate? But what you do for the kingdom of God, what you do in your investment in heaven of how you live your life, it only appreciates, never depreciates. Okay, I'm preaching better than y'all. Some of y'all responded. It's okay. I brought encouragement in my mind. Here's number three. Greed leads to ruin. So greed leads to, it leads to conflict in our relationships. It leads to unfruitfulness in our life, and it leads to ruin. Proverbs 15, 27, the greedy bring ruin to their households, but the one who hates bribes will live. To give context, there were judges in that time who, who their thirst for more were leading them to cross ethical and in, in, in lines of integrity. I, I know people personally who have loved God, but they, two individuals I know, I know personally in my past, who they loved God, but, but they, never, they never settled that, that, that love for God and pursuit of, of wealth and success, and they eventually made some unethical and eventually illegal decisions. And you all know this, right? That type of, of sin, of missing the mark, which that's all what it means, miss God's mark, it doesn't like, you don't go from A to Z, right? It's slowly you begin to be dishonest with yourself. And then you begin to be dishonest with those closest to you. And then you begin to be dishonest in your financial practices. And again, it's, not, it's more than finances, but this is how it happened. It's a trap, and it eventually leads to ruin. Because what was happening, these judges were taking these bribes, and it was bringing shame upon their households, shame upon their children, shame upon their, their spouses in that culture. Here's what Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes. Better one handful with tranquility or peace than two handfuls with toil. That word also means trouble, chasing after the wind. That sometimes the more can lead to, to more problems. You ever experienced that before? You, 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 have that, you have success at work, and you thought that position of leadership, man, if I just get in that position of leadership, like my job would be so much easier. And then you get in that position of leadership, and then you realize you have to lead people. Or if I, if I have some more, right, come on. Anybody else, have you ever moved into a larger apartment or a larger house, and then you realize you had to clean it? It's like, what is this? <laughs> this wasn't part of the deal. <laughs> I, I got to clean more. I got to spend more time more. Again, there's no problem with the more, but it's the longing for more, you know. It's like the prophet, Notorious B.I.G., one time said, it's like the more money we come across, the more problems we see. Some of you got that. If you don't know who the notorious B.I.G. is, do not Google him. I do not affirm all of his teachings. <laughs> come on. Come in. Okay. <laughs> Stop it. Holy. 
Colossians 3, 5. So what do we do? First service didn't get that. They didn't get that serenation. So you're welcome. So what do we do with it? Colossians 3, 5. Paul says, put to death. Put to death, Paul says. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Here's a principle we see scripturally, but also it's, it's a life principle, that whatever you feed lives and whatever you starve dies. So Paul says, starve greed. Don't give in to it. You know what that practice might look like for you? It might mean you need to stop watching certain shows for a season. Uh, honest truth, years ago, um, it's funny for those who know me personally, they, like, this is like a different Jeremy, but years ago, um, I, when I would go like shopping, um, I, would, I would go shopping. Maybe none of you ever, ever had this issue, but I would go for one thing, but then I would buy more than I needed. Um, and, and honestly, when I, when I came to Christ and started kind of, I felt the Lord actually at one point tell me to stop, like to stop shopping. Like, and now it's funny because like I really rarely ever shop. Um, and I just don't, I don't, it's not, the, it's not the same. The temptation's not as strong as it used to be. But it was at one point. But here's what it looks like. It's starving that. So not maybe going to certain websites, not watching certain, certain shows. Come on, some of you right now are telling your spouse, you need to stop watching HGTV, okay? But, no, no, but here, it's not that that's a sin, but you just need to, you need to cut off whatever's feeding that. Whatever's feeding that. And I realize it's everywhere. Even true story, last night, I, um, I got done with some of the, uh, I usually do some message prep and kind of pray and process the message before uh, Sunday morning, and I, I, um, I didn't get a chance to, to work out on Friday, so I went to the gym last night. I was on my elliptical, and I was sitting there processing the message, and I was watching commercials on the screen, and I could, like, feel, there was something I saw for one of my kids, and I had this thought rise up inside of me, oh, I need to get that. Then the next question I had was, Why? And I realized how, like, it's everywhere. Like, you're constantly bombarded with, like, oh, I need that. Oh, I need to get that. Oh. And now with, like, you know, online shopping, it's so easy to, like, just go ahead and click and, and purchase. But, but, but we, need to, we need to be mindful of what we're, what we're feeding and what we're, what we're starving. And, 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 and let me just say this, and then we're going to the next point. It, it's at a heart level. So let me give you another example. Um, it's actually this week. At the gym again, actually. Um, and let me say this. Mind the checks. Like when you're sensitive to those moments, like I was even last night as I was watching these commercials and, and different things. Mind, mind those checks where you feel like the, the spirit of God or you feel like, I don't know if I, should I be doing this or should I be? So I was at the gym. It was later this week. And um, I just got done my weight workout and I was an elliptical. So I, I was like, I'm going to pull up. Um, this online, I'm going through these online courses, kind of, these, it's, it's on my own pace, and um, they're theology courses, and I was like, oh, I'm going to pull up this course on my phone, and I'm going to listen to it while I'm on the elliptical. Come on, it's like two birds of one stone. I'm getting physically healthy, you know, spiritually healthy. Come on, you know, I'm justifying it. But here's the reality. I was tired. Like by the end of the week, I was just tired mentally, physically. So when I go to pull up the course, again, I feel the Spirit of God say, Why? And I was like, what do you mean, why, God? Like, this is, I'm, I'm listening to a theology course. Like, this is good, right? Like, I should be doing this. And I felt like the Lord told me that moment. Personally, I felt like he spoke to my heart. I want you to rest. Rest your mind. 
And here's what I feel like he told me in my heart. It's clear as day. He said, Jeremy, I will accomplish more in your rest than you can in your work. And you can clap for the Lord on that one. That was the Lord. Um, and, and, but listen, the more looks like that. Are you following me? It's not just like, again, we think greed. We think like, oh, more money. Oh, more big things. No, it's those little decisions where God's saying, Jeremy, why are you, why are you violating your body and mind when it's tired? I'm not asking you to do that. Can I be honest? I sometimes can violate my body and mind. I'll push myself. And again, what is the, what, what is, get the heart, why am I, what's the more for? And here's the reality. What, what all of our souls really want is to be content in God. And the trap is, we think, if I just have a little bit, if I just know a little bit more, I don't know about you, but for me, knowledge and education can be an idol for me. I love to learn. I'm a, I'm a book nerd. I love to read. I love to learn. So it can be like more knowledge. It can be, again, more accomplishment. It can be more, more possessions. But, but what is that, that more for? Because ultimately, that thing will not bring you contentment. Only God can. I also want you to catch this. See, listen, here's the thing about greed. I'll say this one last thing. We're going to move to this point too. Is that greed or the thirst for more, it promises a pleasure or a contentment it can never provide. And it delivers a pain it never promised. It delivered pain in your life and grief to your life that you never thought it would. And it won't give you the pleasure that, you, that, that it promised to you. So here's, here's what you do next. The second is this. You gotta learn to live content in Christ. Learn to live content in Christ. Luke 12, 20, when, when he was referencing the man who was building the second barn, he said, you fool. This very night will be demanded from you. The reason he was using those strong terminology was because he was building a, a kingdom here on earth. He was trying to find contentment. He was thinking, man, if I just build, like if I just have more, then I'll eat, drink, and be merry. I'll be good. I'll be content. And Jesus says that way of thinking is foolish. It's foolish. First Timothy 6, verse 7, Paul says, great, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and can take nothing out of it. Come on, Paul sounds like a parent right there. Anybody, any parents ever said that to your kids? Like, you didn't bring anything into this world. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. That word godliness is not a um, destination. It's not, it's not like holiness or perfection. It's more of a posture of the heart. It's saying that you're being devoted to God, that, that I, I'm, I'm pursuing God. And that word contentment, it literally means to find sufficiency in Christ. To, find, to be sufficient in Christ, to, to, to not have to have more, to not have to have that promotion, to not have to be in that dream job, to not have to complete that master's program, to not have to have this much money in your 401k to somehow be content, and then I can rest. It's to be sufficient in Christ, saying, you know what, God, even if I don't move any further up in my office, even if I never complete that degree, even if I don't make any more money, in fact, I even get I even get poor, I'm content. I'm content because in you I find sufficiency. In you I can be content. Jeremiah Burroughs, which by the way, I'm not quoting myself. Just to be clear, this is somebody else, 1500s. Great name though. Uh, highly, highly admire the name. He wrote a book on contentment. 
He says, contentment is a sweet inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. In other words, you're delighting, you're freely submitting to God's ways in your life. That's where contentment's found. It's in submission to his word. It's in submission to his, his will. It's that, that's where we find, finding sufficiency in him. Here's what Matthew 5, 6, Jesus said this, blessed are those. That word blessed means happy. It's the word makarios. Blessed, happy are those who hunger and thirst. Both of those terms mean to earnestly desire for righteousness, which is God's right way of living, his word and his ways, for they will be filled. That word filled means satiated, satisfied, full. full. So he says you'll be happy. Listen, God wants you to be happy. Did you know that? Here's how you become happy. You become happy. You can read Matthew 5. He lists a bunch of ways to to experience happiness according to his ways. He says, you're happy when you earnestly desire my right way of living. But you'll be be satisfied. You will be content when you you live according to my ways. You know, here's the the reality. Again, a lot of times, if we're not careful, we can can fall for this false sense of um, with, with the more that we think the more will somehow satisfy us. But here's clearly from the words of Jesus. It's living according to his ways, living according to his will. Can I tell you, when you are in the will of God and you are following the ways of God, it may not always be easy. It may not always be comfortable. It may not always always feel like it's the right thing to do. But can I tell you the fulfillment that you will have in your heart from fulfilling the will of God and obeying the word of God in your life, there is no amount of possessions or success or education or accomplishment or relationship can provide what that can provide. And that's what he's saying, church. Reminded me the other night, I was uh, bathing our youngest, Abby, and uh, I turned around for a moment and I turned back around. Now, mind you, she's bathing. Don't judge me as a parent, okay? Just turn off the judgment. Uh, We're conserving water. So I bathed, Judah got a bath, and then we bathed Abby in the same water. So um, if you had siblings, your parent probably did the same thing. So, um, And um, I turn around for a moment, and here's Abby with a cup drinking lukewarm, soapy, reused water. Like gulping it. Like, like, like you just came off the court, and you got Gatorade. And you're just like, oh, gosh. Her eyes turn red. <laughs> she got flushed. I'm like, I'm like, oh gosh. I was like, baby, are you thirsty? Let daddy get you clean water. Um, but I thought to myself, well, she's trying to quench her thirst with this reused, soapy, nasty water. That's like us trying to get our thirst quenched from the things of this earth. And we think, man, if I, if I just have. Man, once I get to that place in my, my work life, then I'll be fulfilled. Once we, we get to this place in our bank account, once we get that, that, that amount of my savings, once I can purchase this vacation home, then I'll be set. It's like warm. It, it won't truly quench the thirst. Philippians 4, the Apostle Paul says this. And here's why the Apostle Paul is somebody we need to listen to. Because the Apostle Paul, um, before he came to Christ, a few things to know about Paul. He was very educated. So in a modern context, he would be a very well-educated person, you know, master's level, minimally, 
doctorate level. He was, they didn't have that back then, but he was very educated in the Jewish law. Number two, Paul was a Roman citizen. Roman citizenship was like, was like the highest citizenship you could have. Like if you had Roman citizenship, you could pretty much, you were very well respected, very admired in every city you went into. Um, you had a lot of liberty as a Roman citizen. Um, Paul was also very successful. Um, he had a lot of respect because of his vocation and what he did. Lastly, Paul came from a family of tent makers. And if you study in that context historically, tent makers were, were typically fairly wealthy. And if you came from a family of tent makers, like his father was a tent maker, you came from wealth. So here is Paul, generationally wealthy, highly educated, very successful. So he experienced like the upper echelons of society. But when he, when he became from Saul to Paul and he became a follower of Christ, um, the very city in which he was a citizen, Rome, imprisoned him for his faith. Uh, the very people who once admired him also beat him and left him for dead because he began to preach the gospel of Jesus. So Paul had experienced both wealth and poverty. Are you following me? Both health and sickness, both acceptance and rejection, both admired and, and, and really people turning on him. And he wrote this in Philippians 4 to the church at Philippi. He says, um, he, he was speaking about their generosity. And he says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. In other words, he was saying, I'm not, I'm not, telling, I'm not thanking you for your generosity to get more money from you. He says, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it, the, I've learned the secret of being content in, every, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And in verse 13, many of you know this. Maybe it's on your screensaver on your computer. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So here's what he was saying in this moment that, that, that regardless of whatever circumstance I was in, he's like, don't, don't try to find your contentment in being well-fed because you may find yourself hungry. But whenever circumstance, I can be content, I can be satisfied because of Christ. He says, As I was reading that, I thought to myself, again, my, my youngest, Abby, I'm mentioning her a lot today, but... Um, so she has at home a, a, she calls it her binky. It's a little stuffed uh, animal with like a little blanket on it. And her favorite binky is her mini binky. Uh, so she, she uses her binky. If, she, if she's tired and it's time for nap or it's time for, uh, you know, nighttime, she wants her binky and she'll suck her thumb. It's the most adorable thing you'll see on this side of heaven, I guarantee you. Um, and uh, if, she's, if, she's, if she's like cranky, her binky calms her down. If, she, if someone upsets her, her binky calms her down. If she's distressed, her binky calms her down. If, if like her schedule gets off, her binky calms her down. So we know this. If we go anywhere, a road trip, the park, even church, if we have her binky, like we good. Like no matter what happens, you give Abby her binky, the world could be falling apart. Abby's going to be like this, just sucking her thumb with her binky. Like she's good. I hear that thought to myself. And the same way Abby is with Binky, here's what Paul's saying. Listen, whether you're hungry or you're well-fed, Christ is where you find contentment. Whether you're wealthy or you're in poverty, Christ is where you find contentment. Therefore, regardless of what happens, listen, 2020 was quite a year. But here's the reality. As a follower of Christ, you can say, 2021, bring it on. Whatever you bring to me, whether it's great and work is great and my marriage is great or things are tense and I'm facing stress and I'm facing sickness, I will be content in any circumstance. Why? Because it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's Christ in me, the same 
power that raised Christ from the dead lives on the inside of his church. And here's what the world needs. Followers of Christ who do not look like the world. We're, we're doing the same rat race, trying to chase up the corporate ladder, trying to accumulate wealth. They see us. Man, when he faces hardships, when his kids are successful, and when his kids are struggling, he's content. When he was really healthy and fit, and when he was in the hospital, he was content. Why? Because of Christ in us. Take the words of Paul. Your wealth is not stable. Your health is not stable. Nothing is reliable. Read the scriptures. Everything will be shaken, but the kingdom of God. So don't try to find contentment in things that will one day go away. Find contentment. Listen, God has no problem with your success. He has no problem with money. He's got a big problem when it has your heart. Not because he's mad at you, because he knows son and daughter, once that goes away, he'll break you. Build your life on a solid foundation. It doesn't shift. It doesn't shake. It doesn't, it doesn't move. Here's point three. We're going to close with this point. To be rich towards God. So we learn to live content. And then what does Jesus say in verse 21? is that we are to be rich towards God. And here's what that simply means. It means to value the things of eternity over the things of this earth. It means to value God over earthly possessions and things and success and accomplishments, but more. Matthew 6, Jesus says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and seal, but since store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermins do not destroy, where thieves do not break in the seal. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. That's why he cares, church. Because he wants your heart. He wants you to experience life. No one can serve two masters. This is strong language, verse 24. Either you will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Here's what Jesus is saying. That, and can I, can I be honest? I, I have fallen into this lie before that I can pursue both God and success. Maybe none of you because you're very holy people, I can tell. You cannot serve both God and wealth. Because here's why, here's why, here's why. Eventually, they will be at odds with each other. Because the way of the kingdom is down. So listen, if you're pursuing success, we will be confronted when, when Jesus reminds us we are to deny ourselves and pick up our cross and die to ourselves and to actually have the posture of a servant in our workplace, not take the position of a leader like the world defines. That, that we, will, we will face moments in our life when we are pursuing both God and money. We will be confronted with the word of God and its word about generosity and money not having our heart. And we'll have to choose who is God of my life, wealth or Christ. And that's what he was saying. Again, here's if you read the scriptures, and you apply the scriptures to your life, here's what may happen in your life, though. And I want you to hear this, because money is not evil. Success isn't evil. Remember, it's the love of it. If you follow Christ, you may find yourself wealthy. You might. 
If you follow Christ, you may find yourself having success. You might. You might not. But the difference is, is whether success is the pursuit or it's the byproduct. Is it the focus or did it just happen? That's what Jesus is saying. You can't serve both. It's either me or money. It's either me or success. Which one will you choose? And then what happens when you begin to pursue him? It reminds me of a wedding. You know the traditional wedding vows, one of the phrases, maybe you said this when you got married. There's a, there's a phrase in the traditional wedding vows that says that you're gonna forsake all others. Anybody say that when they got married? You're forsaking all others, right? Because in a healthy marriage, you forsake others, right? When I got married to Christina, I was forsaking any other woman in that moment. Jesus is saying, if you pursue me as a, as a follower, you forsake all the other little G-gods of this earth. And then here's, here's the fun part. When, when all of a sudden, when no longer money or success or position or privilege, whatever, is no longer the, the focus, it no longer becomes the end, then it becomes the means to the true end, which is to fulfill the mission of Jesus. Catch Paul's words in 1 Timothy 6, 17. He says, command. Now, I want you to catch this. He didn't say politely ask. He didn't say gently request. He says, command those who are rich, which comparative to, the, to our world, most of us in this room would be considered rich compared to our world globally. In this present world, not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth. Paul knows this because he's been wealthy. It's so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, which richly provides for us and everything for our enjoyment, command them to do good. Be rich in good deeds. Be generous. Be willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so they may take hold of this life, which is truly life. Here's the Apostle Paul. If he was here today, here's what he'd be saying. Be generous. Do good. Share with others. Do you know why God's given you success? Because he's placed you in positions and around people and in rooms who may never come into a church. They may never encounter Christ except through you. Do you know why he's, he's blessed you with discretionary income? Do you want to know why you have more than enough? It's so that you can lay up treasure for yourself in heaven. It's so that you can leverage your blessing financially through generosity. So when you get to heaven, he'll say, hey, come here, Jeremy. You see that person? You see that person? You see that person? You see that person? They're in here because you faithfully trusted me. You did good. You, you were generous. You shared what you have. Money was not your God. And that's my hope for you, church. I want you, when you get to heaven, when none of this stuff on earth matters, and God's going to be like, hey, come here, come here. You see that person? You see that family? You see that person? They're here because you did good. They're here because you chose me, not money. You were generous. You shared. You lived for me. Paul then said this, my last scripture, Philippians 3.8. He says, what is more... If the worship team is here, they can come. What is more, I consider everything a loss, he says, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Here's where this words of Paul rub against a gospel. I don't like to use cliche terms, but just to communicate. Rubs against any idea of a prosperity gospel. 
It rubs against any idea of this American or Western connotation that following Christ will lead to up and to the right. And that blessing is defined by more success and more wealth. Pull that scripture back up for me, Philippians 3.8. Because he says, for Christ's sake, what did he say, church? He lost all things. He lost all of his wealth. He lost his freedom. He eventually lost his life for Christ. But catch this. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. That word garbage, some even say it was almost a vulgar term. Here's what he was referring to. In the streets of Philippi, in the streets of Rome, they didn't have landfills. So here's what they would do. They would take their trash and they would pile it in the streets. And then they would burn it. And, and because of trash, have you ever had a bunch of trash come? Anybody ever had like a, in your trash cans, like raccoons getting, or any animals getting your trash, right? Animals are drawn to trash. So what would happen in these heaps of trash on the streets, there would be animals. Like, like it'd be, the, the, the smell would be horrid. There would be piles of trash burning in the streets. And here's what Paul says. Paul says, listen, I've lost all things. And I consider all of those things, my proper education in Jewish law, like that heap of garbage. The wealth that I've experienced, like that heap of garbage. My citizenship of Rome, like that heap of garbage. My success, that heap of garbage. Why? Because I have lost it all for him. Because they do not compare to knowing Christ. I want to leave you with this church. Listen, listen, listen. Your soul, what your soul is lacking is not that promotion. It's not more education. It's not a little bit of a larger 401k. What your soul really needs and the only thing that will truly satisfy it, that will truly make it feel filled, is knowing Christ. And not a head knowledge. That word is the word gnoso. It's an intimate knowledge. It's God, I know you. God, I'm walking with you. God, I'm submitted to your word. God, I'm living according to your will. God, I'm being led by your spirit. And can I tell you the contentment that we all long for? We all do. The fulfillment we all are looking for, the satisfaction we're all looking for, can I tell you? It's not in more. Even for me as a pastor, it's not in more impact. It's not in reaching more people. Church, it's in knowing Christ. That's where we find contentment. And when you know Christ, like Paul, everything else is like garbage. Its value is so minimal in comparison to the glory of knowing Jesus Christ. Not a head knowledge, not religion, not this periphery, yeah, I go to church, but I walk with God. So we pursue him. We submit to his word. We open his word. We pray. We worship we choose Christ. Church, can you bow your heads with me?